as I said, the Buddha was not concerned with, with gods, and so there's little mention of, of gods in, in early Buddhism. Buddha did develop, um, then it took on other aspects, and uh, there's many different schools of Buddhism, and we find deities and gods um, in Buddhism, especially in uh, Tibetan Buddhism and uh, in some other sects. So, so it was taken on board, this, this idea of divinity. We'll talk more about that uh, in a moment. Um, over the centuries, Buddhism, as I said, has developed from its initial core teaching uh, in what, what's called the turnings of the wheel. Um, and uh, again, these are fascinating uh, schools of Buddhism. And uh, I, I know some people are attracted to one over the other. Um, some love the, the simplicity of early Buddhism, others the, the majesty and, and the deep psychological insight of um, later Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, etc. So there's something for everyone. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Buddha and his, his early life. The Buddha, uh, Gautama Siddhartha, who later became the Buddha, which is a title for the awakened one, uh, grew up in a kingdom uh, which is now on the borders between India and Nepal, and it was um, prophesied that uh, the, the king's son, King Siddhartha, would either become a great king himself, uh, even greater than his father, or would renounce everything and be become a great sage. Well, his father, being very attached to this world, didn't want him to become a, a renunciate or a sage, but he wanted to ensure that he would become a great king, make him proud. Uh, and so he decided to keep any kind of pain or difficulty, suffering, anything that might distract the, the son uh, away from the palace. And, and for 29 years, uh, the Buddha, Siddhartha, was surrounded only by beautiful things, beautiful boys and girls, uh, beautiful flowers, the best food. There was no trace of anything that could lead to sadness. Well, this is fine, and it worked for maybe 29 years, but uh, the Buddha became inherently dissatisfied with, with this life because, you know, if you live a totally luxurious life, it, it eventually gets wearing and boring. And uh, he was intent upon finding out what was outside the walls of his great palace and all the gardens that uh, he enjoyed. Because uh, he'd never been outside, he'd always been subsumed in pleasure. And uh, he asked his charioteers to take him out, and they, they took him out four times and called the four great sights. Uh, the first trip uh, he saw was an old person and uh, questioned what was that, because he'd always seen young people. Um, then the second uh, trip, uh, the second sight was a sick person. He had no idea that people could get sick. The third was even worse, a dead person, and that shocked him greatly. And he determined that maybe I need to find out more about what's going on. So he went out the last time, and the last person he saw was a mendicant, a, a wandering uh, sadhu uh, who, who had renounced the world to find the truth. And the Buddha said, I'm going to do that myself. And he left a wife and a child behind and headed off into the forest uh, for seven years. And... Because his early life was extremely indulgent, then he went to the other extreme and became extremely ascetic and would hardly eat at all and gathered around him some disciples who also were practicing these great austerities. 
and he became so thin and emaciated and mentally deranged that he couldn't think. He, could, he couldn't attain enlightenment or freedom because his, his mind was dulled to, to starving himself and his, his body was inept. And so at that moment, a, a, a girl uh, who, who was herding cows came by and took a drink of uh, milk, uh, or gruel, milk gruel. And uh, his followers, the five other mendicants, uh, were disgusted with him for doing this and uh, left him. Uh, but he found that the milk sustained him and he began to be able to think clearly again. And he moved to the famous Bodhi tree or Bo tree, um, the, the, the great fig tree under which he sat and determined, I will not leave this place until I have attained enlightenment. And uh, as the story goes, he, he sat under there and uh, was attacked by the forces of Mara, the, the adversary, a bit like Satan in, the, in Jesus's story, uh, the adverse ego, all the, all the tendencies to uh, thwart ourselves from enlightenment. And first of all, Mara uh, sends the army against him, that doesn't work, then sends his sons uh, of anger and, and fear, uh, that doesn't work either. Then he sends his daughters of sullenness and discontent and, and foolishness and whatnot. None of that works. And, and eventually, uh, after all the, the, the armies that were sent and all the wiles and, and the fears that were sent against him failed, um, it, it, early in the morning, uh, showers of blessings fell down from the heavens and uh, fruit uh, blossomed out of season and the Buddha became enlightened, became awakened to the truth of his being. And he, he decided that it was neither in indulgence nor in asceticism, but it was the middle way between the two, the way of balance and harmony, which is famously the middle way of, of Buddhism. And so um, he discovered then in the various uh, parts of the night the essential teachings of Buddhism. And uh, the, the first one was the, the Four Noble Truths, and uh, the first one, uh, first noble truth is that life is inherently unsatisfactory. There's a dissatisfaction in the human condition. It's characterized by suffering. Uh, the second truth was, well, why do we suffer? We cling. We cling to things that change, hoping they're not going to change. And, of course, they always do. So we suffer because we're clinging and craving things, uh, always dissatisfied. And the third noble truth is there is a way to move to cease the cessation of suffering by letting go of having to cling to things, to surrender. And the path to surrender, the path to freedom, is the, is the path of the noble eightfold truth, which he then laid out. And, uh, you know, you'll see this a lot in Buddhism. There's four of this, eight of that, seven of another, six of this. Uh, it's a very systematic religion laying out um, a beautiful psychological uh, uh, pathway to, to attainment. And for those of us who, who like um, that kind of elegance, I think we're attracted to, to the, Buddhist, the Buddhist path. Noble Eightfold Truth is divided into three parts uh, to do with the mind, the body, and, and uh, the ability to live it fully, the spirit. Uh, so the, the mind, uh, the, the first two noble truths is right understanding and right thought, uh, sometimes called right view and right intention. In other words, we can't go anywhere until we're seeing things clearly, until we have 
uh, it develops uh, quite deeply in, in Tibet, um, and, and there's many fascinating practices there in, in Tibet uh, around uh, this, this turning of the wheel. Um, later developments also were uh, Zen Buddhism, um, in, uh, initially in China, uh, Shan Buddhism, and then in, in, in uh, Japan as Zen Buddhism. Both words come from the Sanskrit dhyana, which means meditation, so the school of meditation. Uh, again, you can go into great detail on all this, it's very fascinating, um, but we haven't got time to do that, but I hope this has piqued your interest and you want to study more about it. Let's look at the five principles. Uh, as we said, there is no God as such in Buddhism because that wasn't the Buddha's concern to discuss ineffable points uh, around metaphysics or theology. Um, he found that was a waste of time because the, the, the main task was to become free and, and not to speculate about things. But having said that, um, he did understand there is a, a natural order and harmony in the universe um, and it's, it's boundless, it's spacious, it's beautiful, and we are it. Um, and so, although he didn't call it a god, it, it is um, linked to what we might see as the divine um, in, in our system of understanding. And as I mentioned later, later on in Buddhist teaching, uh, gods have taken on board. They're, they're not the, the, the omnipresent god, but they are aspects of psychological understanding um, and, uh, and they, they have in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, wrathful and peaceful deities. Uh, again, very uh, outpicturing of psychological states within our, our consciousness. Human beings are always considered to be uh, extremely precious in Buddhism because uh, there's texts that say how, how difficult it is to attain human birth. And so what a precious thing it is to be a human being. And so the great emphasis is put on the, the value of, of being a human being. Uh, so similar to uh, what we might call the divinity of humanity in unity. Um, and as I said, in, in Mahayana Buddhism, it goes as far as talking about the, um, the Buddha nature within each person, uh, which is similar to the Christ nature. I think it's a, a similar idea. And, uh, and so human beings are lifted up. Obviously, if we're capable of attaining enlightenment or freedom, awakening, then uh, we, we are, uh, you know, given great uh, opportunities and uh, uh, lifted up. So very little idea of sin um, in Buddhism, mostly uh, just attachment, uh, craving to states that are changing and we hope they're not going to change, you know, and the foolishness of clinging to those states is the, the main error that we we, uh, we have as human beings. So freedom is, is relinquishing our attachment to these states. Some people say that uh, Buddhism, and I know they say it about Hinduism too, are, are sort of life-denying systems, but they're truly not. They, what they deny or what they're trying to overcome is illusion and uh, cre create a you know, greater stability of understanding uh, what's really going on. And, and so they're, they're overcoming the, the illusory and not overcoming life itself and trying to escape from life. It's truly an embrace of life. Third principle, of course, is essential to Buddhism, the idea of mind action, uh, karma, rebirth, uh, the cycle of lives, samsara, uh, codependent origination, it's called, it's, it's all the various elements that lead to rebirth. 
and uh, the salvation of that. And it's interesting, the wheel of um, becoming, uh, the, the wheel of samsara, the wheel of time and change, is the same wheel as the wheel of sadhana, which is the, the wheel of perfection and wholeness, um, but seen in a different light. And behind me on the screen, you'll see a, a mandala from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. You may have gone to um, Tibetan Buddhist ceremonies where they choose these mandalas. Uh, it's the idea of a symbolic or pictorial representation of reality in all its wholeness and perfection. And I love that. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the wheel that it chooses is, is the same wheel that brings us. Isn't that a profound an interesting way of, of looking at life, right? Rather than I have to overcome something and kill it before I can see the truth. I don't have to kill anything, I just have to understand it uh, in a beautiful way. Um, another uh, uh, part of Buddhism that's highly developed, of course, like Hinduism, is prayer meditation. There are many, many techniques. Uh, samatha, calm abiding, is, is the essential first step. And then Vipassana is the way of insight, the way of um, uh, going into a deep state of consciousness and investigating the nature of reality. Um, and we can look at this in great detail. There's, there's many systems that, that uh, are in, emphasized in different parts of the Buddhist tradition. One thing I'm attracted to as being a mystic is the Dzogchen or Mahamudra traditions. Um, of Rajayana, and they're particularly developed in Tibet. Um, the, this is the, the great perfection teachings, uh, the idea that all is well. Essentially, there's a natural great perfection w within all things, within all beings. Uh, excuse me, my notes there. Um, and uh, that we, we can um, attain to that, right? And uh, it's, it's a dangerous path in a sense. I'll tell you why. Um, it, it sounds too good to be true, and sometimes we rush to it, hoping that this is the ultimate. Whereas a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner would spend three years in silent meditation, maybe another three years up in caves, developing the ability to truly understand what the great perfection is. So it's a bit like what we might call sheep grace in Christianity, you know, rushing into an understanding. We may know it intellectually, but are we ready to embody it? in our life uh, more fully. So we have to be careful that we, we don't uh, jump to something that's beyond our our means. There needs to be a systematic approach. So I once wrote an article for Unity Magazine, you know, is it instant enlightenment or is it a gradual path? And uh, after, after writing the article, I came to the conclusion that yes, it is. <laughs> it's both. Um, there is instant enlightenment, but it's underpinned at all times with um, the gradual systematic path. Um, so that there, are, there is no instant uh, without a discipline. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's, that's a philosophical point we can discuss at another time. Um, huge amount of scriptures in, in Buddhism, um, uh, Buddhist sutras. The, one of the early ones is the Dhammapada. Um, one of my favorites is the Heart Sutra. It's short but very profound. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Is one of the mantras there. Uh, the Diamond Sutra, uh, Tantric texts, uh, Zen Buddhism has many different texts. And of course, the, the Zen Buddhists developed the idea of a koan, a, a conundrum, a, a short statement 
um, that forces us to move beyond our intellectual minds into a more intuitive awareness. Um, what is the sound of one hand clapping, for instance? Um, or what was your original face before you were born? Something that you have to investigate, not through logic, but through um, moving beyond dualism into a deeper understanding of what's going on. Um, let's see, what else have we got? Living it. Uh, Buddhist path is very practical. Uh, it's, it's all about embodying these truths effectively in life. Because as I said, the Buddha was intent upon us becoming awakened uh, and living that life with love and compassion. Um, the Buddhists kept, take refuge in the three jewels, as they call them, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the Buddha, the teacher himself, the teaching, the Dharma, and then the Sangha, the community of people who are intent upon embodying the truth in their lives and following the Buddha. And we could use the same thing, right? In, in, um, in unity, we might have our great teachers like Jesus Christ. We have our truth principles as the, as the Dharma. And then we have the community. We gather together um, to support each other in, in that endeavor. There are many precepts in, in uh, Buddhism, many are similar to the Ten Commandments, actually, in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, let's see, what, have, what haven't we covered? Um, we, we mentioned the Bodhisattva path, and, and that's very fascinating. A person who is close to enlightenment uh, it chooses not to just spin off into nothingness, but to stay around, maybe for a lifetime, to help others. And I love that idea that there's this inherent compassion and humility that comes because we want to give ourselves to others. Until all beings are enlightened, I will, I will be here. And I think Jesus said the same, lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age, because I'm intent, in, even in my spirit form, to be there with you to help you also become free and enlightened as, as I became. So um, that's, that's another beautiful uh, technique. There are monks in, in Buddhism, yes, but there are many householders um, and, and many ordinary people who are practicing um, and many great Tibetan uh, teachers, uh, Zen teachers, um, other teachers in, in, um, in Buddhism. And Buddhism has also extended greatly into the West. Uh, Rick Fields wrote a wonderful book, When the Swans Came to the Light, about uh, Buddhists and Buddhist teachings coming to America. And uh, so there's all kinds of centers in America uh, that, that uh, offer various kinds of Buddhist teachings. One that I like is um, Lojong, uh, which is the ma uh, mind training technique, um, 59 slogans that uh, can really help you get outside of uh, conventional thinking. Check those out sometime. And then Tonglang, which is the um, movement of, of giving and taking. Um, we, we take on the, the dark black smoke of suffering and uh, as we breathe it in, we breathe it in as darkness, and then we breathe out light because we have the power within us, the Buddha nature, to transform all kinds of darkness into, into purity. We breathe out light, uh, colorless uh, smoke. The smoke is cleared from black, and now it's beautifully pure, and it goes out to bless our world. Um, and I like that. It's a little counterintuitive, isn't it, to unity? Because we like to breathe in the light and breathe out the light. But I think what it is, it's taking on the darkness uh, with compassion so that we can transform it. And that's a powerful, powerful thing to do. So 
That's a brief overview of Buddhism. Again, one of my favorite religions because I find it so uh, profound on many levels and uh, practical. The final thing I want to say is it's it's funny, it's humorous. Um, there are many texts that are quite uh, lighthearted and humorous. And if you've ever been around Tibetan Buddhist monks, you know how they like to have a good time. And I think that's the hallmark of the true religion is it's lighthearted. Um, it's not too heavy, it's not serious, I'm not trying to convert anybody. There's very little conversion in Buddhism, mostly it is simply teaching in an open-hearted way of this natural great perfection that we are. So let's close uh, with an affirmation, and I took this affirmation from an 18th century Tibetan text that comes from the, the great perfection teachings, it's, it's uh, just one line from it. But it might be useful for us today in the craziness of our world. It says, I rest in the naked clarity of the present moment. I rest in the naked clarity of the present moment. See, nothing added. It's pure. It's clear. It's open. It's unhindered. It's present. And we can be present to it, too. So, all right, I'll say it one more time, and then let's take it together. I rest in the naked clarity of the present moment. Together, I rest in the naked clarity of the present moment. And so it is. So thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to being with you again next week when we'll discuss another fascinating religion, the religion of Taoism and how that fits into unity. All right, take care now. Bye-bye.